we're a generation living in the spectrum between broadband and burnout. And it seems to me that we have moved onto the right-hand scale of burnout, which is the, the most serious sort of pastoral issue, um, mental issue uh, of, of our time. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You got a phenomenal interview for you today uh, for a leader that I've just recently been exposed to. Ken Costa is a British investment banker. We'll have you explain, Ken, what that actually means, but has just a, a wide range of leadership, but also a vantage to different worlds. So, Ken, really excited to have you on the podcast today. Well, it's great to be able to join you from Lockdown London where we're sort of allowed out for one walk a day. And I've just come back from my one walk with my wife. Um, these, are, these are strange times, but good to talk to you. And no doubt you're looking out on some beautiful mountain regions and some lovely countryside. <laughs> yeah, lot, lockdown, we're not, we're not struggling here. Um, as I get to peak up at the mountains, we're starting to get springtime. Um, Ken, how's it been for you personally? You mentioned one walk a day. How is living in London right now, I mean, close to the heart of London, how is that during quarantine? Well, it's, it's eerie. Um, it, it, it's weird because the, um, the, uh, the streets are quiet. London, which is buzzing with cars and people, um, are quiet. We, we have to keep social distancing, so we're not seeing anybody, we're not touching any people. Um, and so it's that very strange thing, and yet... Uh, we look at the countryside around us, such as it is, our parks and our rivers. I mean, the River Thames has had otters into it. I mean, otters have never been seen in the Thames. I mean, nature is doing something uh, unusual as a result of this. And it's springtime, so we'll be beginning to notice different things, trying to see how, how we can distract ourselves from the normal Zoom calls which are going on uh, all day long. So there's a there's a combination of this uncertainty, this slightly fearfulness, if I have to be perfectly honest. Um, I, the, I was very interested in the Harvard Business Review, carried a, a story um, about what we're suffering at the moment is a double grief, collectively two griefs. One, when we look back, we think of the world as we thought it was going on, you know, but a few months ago, and we sort of grieve that world that we see as lost. Now, when we look forward, we're kind of grieving the projected world that we had um, because it's so uncertain, so unclear. So wherever you are in the world, and there's no safe place, London is as hard as anywhere else. I think it's a, it's a big paradigm shift that we're all going through. Mm. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good word, this double grief that we're trying to process, um, looking back and looking ahead at the same time. And of course, leaders, the future is coming at us very quickly. And that's a, one thing we want to talk to uh, today specifically. Ken, it was an interesting moment. Uh, we're gathered with about 60 kingdom leaders, many of them church leaders up in the mountains of Colorado. You were supposed to come in and speak to us live and instead had yeah. to come to us through Zoom, which I know is disorienting. But your message to us that morning was in the context of us realizing what we were about to lose and what was going to change. That day we had conversations, we prayed for one another. Uh, of course, we laid hands on one another and prayed and passed the corona around uh, among us. But 
<laughs> your message was was so timely that day. And I wanted to dig in just a little bit on sure. that. I took tons of notes. It, it was a moment for us and kind of opened up a prayer time for us to say, we are not in control. And this one really hit me. You said the issue is not the pressure of time, but of timing. Yes. There was a lull in the room when you said that. How have you seen this come to life during the last few months? Well, by its denial, <laughs> because uh, just at the moment, um, the time pressure disappeared and there is no handle on timing. So we are thrashing around until we can get to that rested place, which for the Christian is the, is the place where we rest by the Spirit of God in the place that he has called us, knowing that the timing of anything that we had in mind is not in our hands. I mean, it is a, the world has literally stopped, which means that both the time pressure's on us and the timing uh, for the future. When do we come out of this? When I do come out of it, what will I look like? How will I have been shaped by this? What kind of uh, the projection would I have of the business that I wanted to start, the, the, um, the new investment I wanted to make, the church I wanted to plant, the people I wanted to meet, all of that timing is thrown up in the air because we, we have no control over it. So it's almost as if it, the Lord is underlining to us that he is the Lord of time, yes, because he creates time, but he is supremely the Lord of timing. And the, just removing it from us is one of the greatest spiritual agonies that we have at the moment. Mm, yes. And I, I think... Our souls are grieving that loss of control, but I think something down deep that's so refreshing and so needed for us. I know for me, I have said, I don't know, uh, dozens of times, maybe a hundred times now to my kids. And it just feels like we're in this, I don't know moment, which wages war against this control that we want to have. Can you have so many unique vantages? You are an investment banker. You have been part of Holy Trinity Brompton um, that is perhaps best known for Alpha Groups and had a robust ministry there. You speak, you write. We want to chat about your book here in a little bit. But give us that context of an investment banker. What in the world is that? Well, an investment banker is is many things, but it's basically um, someone who deals with large corporations, giving advice to the boards of the companies, raising capital for them, uh, and enabling them to acquire or to divest uh, of some of their businesses. So it's really sort of wholesale banking at, at, on, a, on, a, uh, on, a, on a corporate scale or an institutional scale. It's not quite the, uh, not quite the main street um, of a lending bank. That's what, I, that's what I've done for the last 40-odd oh, years. So you've, you've seen these kind of moments before. You've seen downturns. I'm curious, other than this loss of control, what else are you observing on the macro level? What's happening among humans on the globe right now from your perspective? Well, there are three things that are happening almost simultaneously, which we've never had before. One is the environment challenges that we had, floods uh, in your country, wildfires in, uh, uh, in Australia, floods in this country. Soon after that, a medical uh, pandemic starts. And and with that comes a completely volatile financial market. 
with governments everywhere in the world. There is no safe place in the world. There is no country in the world that's standing apart from this, having to throw vast amounts of money at trying to deal with these three, this perfect storm, these three things coming together. And we've never seen anything like that. This is worse than, than uh, 08, 09 with the, uh, the great financial crisis. It's probably more like what happened at the Twin Towers because it was a sort of seizure, it just suddenly stops in, in the midst and governments are trying you know, to keep us alive on, on, on artificial ventilation in, financial, on, in a financial kind. So that's, a, that's the, you know, the world has often been described, I mean, and I describe it as being a world with the acronym of VUCA. It's volatile, just look at the stock market. It's uncertain, just look at uh, what, what the next form of this virus is going to look like. It's complex, how on earth do we get out of it? And it's anxious. I mean, we are all anxious. And when you add this anxiousness to this VUCA world, you get some very curious personal behavior. Financial markets are all over the show. Uh, politicians are trying to their best, but in your country, in our country, you know, there is no one that seems to be able to lead us through this time with any degree of confidence. Hmm. And so for those four, I like that, that this VUCA world we're living in right now, Ken, what type of leader do we need right now in this moment? Interestingly, um, I'm often asked this question and people would expect the normal things that you learn from business schools and leadership manuals and all things. I think the centrally important issue for now is we need flexibility. We, we need people that are able, almost like the sons of Issachar, to be able to read the signs and then to know what action to take. We've not been this way before. And there, is a good, there are good biblical precedents of um, Joshua and others, you know, not been here before, that we have to trust God to be leading us through. But the way in which he leads us is through our hearts, our minds, our intelligence, our experience, and, you know, as a whole human being. But we need to have the flexibility to be able to make the changes that are, that are required when we're in the midst of this completely unsettled world, knowing that we have a, you know, a, we are being shaken, but our faith is is being rooted uh, in a very different, yes, much more challenging and unsettling way. That's a good word. A call for flexible leaders in this moment. Yeah. So. Over four decades of leadership advice, you've been through a thing or two. You've seen these kind of downturns before. Yeah. Um, you've seen fear. You've led through it. What advice do you give leaders for the next year that's coming, starting right now? What advice do leaders need right now? Well, I think I mean it'll be in different uh, in different forms of of of, of leadership. Um, for those that are involved in churches, those are pastors and worship leaders and, and other people, there, there there is a very huge, a very big challenge to be able to understand that what is happening is not that we've just suddenly acquired some digital functionality to be able to reach people, but there is a profound cultural change as a result of this digital changed coming and we haven't yet worked out what that means because it's one thing to have content to be able to lead people with good content good sermons good messages 
and, and you know, significantly increased people watching and all of that. But the key issue is whether there is going to be engagement. It's not content, it's engagement. And how is that engagement going to be expressed both in this cultural change, which, will, which, is, which we're experimenting with, hence the flexibility. So I think that's a, that, is a key, that is a key point if you were a pastor. If you're, if you're running a business or if you're starting a business, I mean, the whole way in which the business will be financed going forward uh, is, is a key part of trying to find those partners that will go with you so that you can see through the journey. Because we just don't know what, what, what will happen. There may be you know, two or three more peaks to this, to this virus. How will we get through that? So again, it's this sort of trusting in God for the future, but utilizing and just you know, our, our, you know, our analysis, our ability to discriminate, to look at issues, not to be sort of gullible when we look to the to look to the future and make make sort of sensible plans. And can you let us in on what business leaders may be thinking about right now? Whether it's opportunity, whether it's you know going low on cash spending, or what does that look like right now? In, in the business world, and then we want to flip over and, and talk a little bit more about the church world. Well, in the business world, um, it's just shoring up the business. I mean, some people don't have businesses. They're gone. Um, you're the person that was running a, a restaurant, should we say, um, which have been closed. And dozens of them around us here in the UK, and I dare say the same for you, you know, just completely folded. Um, other businesses are surviving but we're having to reinvent new models, having to lay people off, having to utilize as much you know, in, in, of government funding to be able to stay alive. So, I mean, it literally is the first priority is to survive, um, is to get through this time intact. Uh, and there's some tough decisions that have to be made, particularly um, you know, for those that are, are leading other people and there are hardships. That, that are inevitable uh, as these decisions are made, but they have to be made in order to preserve the flexibility within the organization to survive whatever the next headwinds are. Uh, you're kind of coming to us from the future and you have you know more weeks under your belt, but then again, further along kind of the post-Christian spectrum uh, from across the pond. So speak to us a little bit. What do you see God doing within the church right now and how must the church change in the coming year or two outside of this? Well, the first thing to say is that we, we don't know. There's that great verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, which says, you know, plant your seeds now, um, and you don't know which one, will, which one will grow, the one on the left, the one on the right, or both. But it does say plant now. So the first thing to do is, is to recognize the, the worst thing to do is to think that in the old patterns will will revi- will remain. They won't. But it's unclear which patterns will be surviving. And so therefore one does have to have, you know, flexible teams of people around you who are able to evaluate what is happening uh, in the growth within the church of its on, on its online people. Is that going to become a family? Is it going to become part of the, the, the future of the church, how will that group be become engaged in the mission of the church? 
Now, that is hugely exciting because we are reaching far more people where they're at than ever we did before because the previous model was come to my building and I will give you a good message to keep you going. Now it is I'm going to where you are and I want to help you wherever you are. And that's a brilliant new way of just looking at a different way of reaching people where they're at. And of course, it's created a home as a sacrament. I mean, the home has become the new church, in a sense. Um, I'm not saying that we won't, don't want to have gatherings. Of course we do. But, but to be actually realizing that the home is, is, a, is a new place of, of encounter uh, is, I think, a very dynamic. So I'm very excited. I think the church comes through this with uh, you know, a changed not a longing for what, what is normal. I mean, there's no such thing as what is normal. God is taking us through, I think, a, a very different season in order that we might reevaluate our priorities. And that's a key, really, uh, in this time. That's good. Uh, Ken, I want to dig into your book. So you spent who knows how many hours, how many hundreds of hours, writing a book on Joseph of Arimathea, a guy we've heard about, we've kind of read over in scripture. Why does he fascinate you? Well, um, I read a book called Strange Kingdom, which was using, it was a meditation on the cross using the phrase from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that a king who dies on a cross must be the king of a very strange kingdom. And the fact of the matter is, we do live in a weird kingdom. And it's, it's, it's weird, it's strange. Uh, that someone who dies on a cross becomes the central feature of our lives. But while I was preparing that, you know, when one, when one reads a verse in Scripture and it suddenly comes alive and just sort of leaps out of the water to you, and one of those was uh, in, in Luke, uh, Luke 24, verse 15, which said he, was, he did not consent to their decision or their action. So when the Sanhedrin condemned Jesus, uh, Joseph was not part of the majority. He stood up against what was happening. He saw an innocent man being condemned. And I thought to myself, that's it. That's what we're called to do so often. You know, the person in college who stands up for free speech in the university or the teacher, the parent that goes to the head teacher and says, you know what, I don't really agree with what we're being taught in the school. Um, you know, very many just ordinary people. And it then struck me that Joseph was, in a sense, uh, had an extraordinary calling, but it was of, an, of an, an ordinary man. Now talk about the financial piece of this. This was fascinating when I heard you share this. Why, as someone in the, the world of finance, do you identify with him? Well, the fact of the matter is that he was a man of, he was a man of, uh, of substance. Uh, he was a member of the a member of the council. Um, they they were wealthy people because they got all the temple taxes, um, and it, it, we're, we're told there are only sixteen verses on him. Is this a vignette? He never speaks. Uh, it's always a small description of him. So he was a prominent person, and he also had um, had finances. But the thing that he did was he stewarded his influence and he stewarded his affluence. He stewarded his affluence because, you know, he took money um, and to, to buy the spices and to make his tomb available. He didn't think that the tomb was coming back, but he wanted to give something of himself to that person, Jesus. And 
for the business person, he did it with a partner. He, you know, he phoned up um, Nicodemus and said to Nicodemus, look, you know, this, you came to Jesus by night. I was a fearful disciple, but he is an innocent man. Come and help me. They, he pooled his funds. Um, Nicodemus put some money in um, and they made, they made, bought the spices, took, took them off. So their affluence was stewarded, but their influence was stewarded. I mean, you know, he went to Pilate and asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Um, now, you can't just go to the governor if you, if you don't have access to him. So he was a man of influence, but he was prepared to put himself on the line. And there was, you know, what was left of that body? He knew that what was left would never preach again, would never heal again, um, would never raise Lazarus from the dead again. You know, there was nothing there. It's a dead body. But he was prepared, not knowing how the story would end, to use his influence to gain the body. He wasn't even a member of the family. Um, And so he got the body. Ordinary business person rolls up his sleeves, gets a partner together, puts their money together, takes the body, puts it into the the grave. And that sort of struck me as being you know, just a number of the themes that are compelling in this Mm. man's life. And it strikes me, Ken, that you're most uniquely positioned to write this with so many years within finance, so many years really kind of fighting for the hearts of leaders, leading in any space, and now getting to really speak into this crisis, someone who's been there before. So, Ken, thanks for your time investing in so many leaders you have some really interesting stories, I'm sure, some leaders, uh, fascinating leaders you've interacted with. Are there a couple leaders that stick out um, that you've met with, interacted with, interviewed, sat with meals over, who particularly just impressed you as leaders? Well, not to drop a name, but because I was born in South Africa and was also a trustee of the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, I mean, the meetings with Mandela are the most memorable of my life. Uh, the extraordinary uh, grace in the man, the ability to forgive the immense uh, injustices that were committed against him were deeply moving. And that, of course, stays in my, in my memory. Um, he was a kind of, well, I don't know, like a Joseph of Arimathea, perhaps. Um, uh, and he, you know, he didn't know how the story was going to end, um, as Joseph didn't know how the story was going to end. He was in, he was in prison for 28 years, uh, but when it did end, a nation uh, came into freedom. So that would be the one that I would most um, come back to. Hmm. Wow. That's got to be a moment, thinking through that and processing that with, with Nelson. Um, there's a lot of tired leaders out there, Right now, Ken, a lot of ones, you know, heading toward burnout, perhaps if nothing changes, there's a lot of overwhelm right now. This is taking an unbelievable amount of energy out of us as we lead, as we make decisions personally for our families, for our teams, for our organizations. What advice would you give right now to tired or overwhelmed leaders? Well, the first thing to, to make the point is that uh, in general, we, and it's perfectly illustrated by the moment is that we're a generation living in the spectrum between broadband and burnout. And it seems to me that we have moved onto the right-hand scale of burnout, um, which is the, the most serious sort of pastoral issue, 
um, mental issue uh, of, of our time. And therefore, it's, it is really a vital piece to recognize that however much we are enabled by the functionality of, of broadband, if the price is burnout, it's not worth having because the, we are human beings. We need to self-invest. There is nothing wrong in self-investing. We need to spend time meditating, praying, worshiping, allowing the Spirit of God to lift the burdens from us, to speak to our hearts, to inflame our desires for Him, to recalibrate our minds, to deal with our fear above everything else. That is, that's how we will, you know, there are sounds as if they're so basic but yet it has to be reminded because the pastors are always reminding others of these truths. Well, there are not that many that are reminding the pastors of these truths, that, uh, that we are able to live in a very different paradigm, uh, even in these, these times where, lock, where we lock down, but uh, we are not without the Spirit of God enabling us to be refreshed by his spirit um, to be dealing with our fears painful as these things are i mean they are realities it's, it's no use you can't whisk them away they don't just disappear it's not just the victorious life that doesn't have any of these things uh, these are real emotional issues that we need to face deal with and believe um, that uh, you know, the Spirit of God, where the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's, there's freedom in the midst of the crisis. And that will help to move the burnout, the, well, at least to show the early warning signs of, of burnout that can be dealt with. You know, the real problem, as you know, is by the time we come to deal with the burnout, it's too far gone. Yeah, the great irony is that the moment that we really begin to feel it like dehydration. Uh, we already well dehydrated, well burned out uh, before we feel that. Well, thank you for that, Ken. That's so good. Um, and I wondered if the, the words of an Irish poem that you shared sure. with young leaders, if, if you would just kind of maybe end us with that and how that's been a helpful sort of prophetic peek into this moment for you. Sure. Well, it's called Michael O'Shale which is a good um, um, Celtic name. And he, he made the comment of saying, look not for this year's birds in last year's nests. Look not for this year's birds in last year's nests. And I think that is a prophetic word for all of us because this year's birds are so different. This whole environment is so completely different in every aspect not only in the macro facts that we are facing, but our response to it. And if we simply go back to last year's ways, last year's tried formulas, the, pro the programs that we had, and try and repeat them now, it'll be a disaster. And what we have to recognize is that um, this year's birds are different and they knew, but they, they will fly. Um, and we need to be able to, to recognize how to be flexible enough uh, to deal with these new circumstances and the new ways uh, of, of understanding the world around us, whether it's the environment or finance or healthcare uh, or the spirituality that 
you know, I do just believe that if we carry on praying uh, in a new and more intense way, uh, that we will see uh, the beginnings of what we pray for is a, a real awakening, uh, by which I don't mean just churches revived, but the, a nation as a whole recognizing uh, the, the, the sort of lordship of Christ. Mm. Well, Ken, thank you for that. It, it feels very grounding to talk to you as someone who's both been there before, have, have led through these moments before, and someone who also sees the hope of Jesus in the midst of that, the reality that this is hard, this is painful, this is anxiety producing, and yet that we can continue to lead in the midst of it. And I just feel compelled to ask if you might pray over leaders listening to this. Some are washing dishes, some are walking their dog, some are sitting outside soaking in the sun or working out at the moment. Would you just pray specifically, Ken, over the overwhelmed leaders and maybe the ones who say, I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I, I just don't know the way through this. Can you end us with a prayer? Sure. Um, I'd love to do that. Uh, Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus that you would send your spirit to all those that are listening to this, wherever they are, and that you would come upon them you would breathe on them as you did in that first resurrection appearance to those disciples who were in lockdown conditions. You breathed on them the spirit of God, the spirit of life, the spirit of creativity. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would come. Come, Holy Spirit, touch these people, touch their lives, their homes, their families, touch their churches and their businesses their finances, and their future. Touch them right now, Lord. Enable them just to stop for a moment and to draw from you, to draw that filling that comes from you and the fueling that comes from you that will enable them to walk in your path uh, and to know above everything else that all of us are known by you, we're loved by you, and called by you. Amen. We know your time is a valuable resource, so we don't want to take it lightly. We make sure that we are bringing quality episodes with amazing leaders to you. We want to curate those well, but we want you to continue to think about how does this affect your life? Who else do you need to share this with? So if there is somebody in your life that came to mind in the last 30 minutes or so, go ahead and hit the share button, shoot it over to them. Maybe you have a conversation with them. Don't just consume this alone, as great as that is on your run, on your walk, as you're working out, as you're walking the dog, uh, as you're making dinner. Make sure to share this with somebody else. Have your next conversation. Take your next right step. Guys, no matter what the culture says, it is possible to live and lead healthy and do that for the long haul without you losing your soul in the meantime. We'll catch you next time. Shot, shot, we focus so long.